everybody, and welcome to Nerdy for 30, the podcast where we talk about nerdy-ish things for 30-ish minutes. My name is Kevin Bauer. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, comedian Tim Keck. Yeah, baby. We didn't get a sup dogs. I you said you didn't like sup dogs, so now I'm, I, I have to mix it up. Grew on also, me, I forgot that we had that convo, so I, you really put me on the spot there. I was like, oh, and yeah, baby, just came out. You know, it's all uh, right. So it felt good, but you know, a little. I don't know. Maybe we'll keep workshopping it. Keep catching me off guard with these, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, I'll keep catching you off guard at the same exact time every episode. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is the podcast where we talk about nerdiest things for. 30-ish minutes. Wow. Now we're both thrown off. <laughs> you want to take this back to a multiverse where we have a good intro? Oh, no. That would take too long. All right. <laughs> well, hey, speaking of things that take too long, we'll explore yes, the multiverse. <laughs> Today, we're talking about everything, everywhere, all at once. The Oscar-sweeping cinematic sensation... <laughs> It's also sweeping the nation. Uh, now, we did talk about this one when it came out last year. It also swept the Nerdy for 30 Awards show, the Rennies, at the end of the year, the Ryan Reynolds Awards for Excellence. I think I nominated it for every single category. Uh, <laughs> and I did that like three months before the Oscars even happened. So come on. You heard it here first. I think you um, did nominate them for everything. I think I pushed back almost every time. And yeah. I think um, it actually won the too long award. I forget how we it worded did. it. Too longest. Yeah. The too so, longest. Uh, the too longest award was the award for the movie whose excess length prevented it from being a better movie. Yes. The most. Uh, so we did. We have talked about this movie quite a bit on this show, but now today we're going to be talking about it once more. We both watched it again. And, you know, we're going to share some extra thoughts on it and talk about it more in the context of this not being a beloved indie darling anymore. This is now one of the biggest Oscar movies of all time. So to dig right into it, Tim, did anything really change for you watching this movie a second time? I I think I I want to say I liked it more the second time, but I don't know. It it it. I think I did. I think I liked it more. I think I I was prepared for the length of it and the storytelling makes sense and the emotional journeys they're all on make sense. I still think they take too long, mm -hmm. but it is like kind of a complicated journey that maybe makes it more prone to like Oscar baiting than, you know, maybe it needs to be this long in order to feel like an Oscar movie. I went back and listened to our first pod and in it, I I, I made the point that it feels like they're trying for an Oscar <laughs> and listening, watching it back. I'm like, yeah, this fits the bill for what an Oscar movie is. It's like a little too long. It's a little too emotional. There's like these very intense, like acting moments when part of the movie is just fun fight scenes with, you know, butt plugs in. So, so it, it's a weird, just juxtaposition. The length is weird, but the, the emotional journeys they go on, I don't know if they need them for each character. It feels like, you know, the main character is dealing with her own shit and then she has mm -hmm. to reconcile her relationships with pretty much every character we've met. So like she has to reconcile her relationship with Jamie Lee Curtis, for some reason, maybe that's the one you drop because she's just like some random person they have an encounter with. She has to reconcile with her husband. She has to reconcile with her, her father. She has to reconcile with her daughter. 
And then every time they reconcile with one of them, she kind of goes back and they revisit her reconciling with the other ones. So it's Mm -hmm. really just a very repetitive. You're barely making progress on this emotional journey. And by the time you get to the end, I don't know if I felt incredibly satisfied with like, wow, this is the perfect conclusion. Everything makes sense now. This is enough for everything to stop. It doesn't feel like it gets to a universal truth other than we like being here. So why not do this? But also they didn't like being there. So why is that the solution? You should live in the moment and you should enjoy things. I I don't really know. I guess I don't really know what (laughs) what what the point of all this emotional stuff is. Kevin, did you have like a different read on this or anything on upon uh, reflection rewatching it? I would definitely say it was it was the biggest thing, like you mentioned, too, was the length is just being prepared for the length, I think, made me like interact with this movie differently just because I was so much more aware of like, oh, we're just starting here. So I guess like it makes me not get as excited about things moving in the beginning of the movie because I know that we're not going to get that resolution yet and thinking toward all the cool things that happen toward the end of the movie. There's like this kind of false ending that happens where they actually, you know, roll credits and all that. And uh, in the movie theater, it really did feel like it was maybe building to the climax of that moment. I mean, that happens around the 90 minute mark. Right. So timing wise, I was like, okay, wow. Are we, we're really going to wrap this up with some kind of a crazy big bang ending and then get out of here. And then it keeps going for, I think it's an additional 50 minutes past that point. So I mean, that false ending is like kind of really a strange thing because even when you're building towards it, you're thinking about some scenes that happen, I guess, 38 minutes later in the movie and you're thinking they're about to happen. Then you have to remind yourself like, no, 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 there's a lot more of this movie left. And it does make you question all the little tiny details that they put in and how much we need to know all of those things. I know the one that we talked about when we talked about this for the Rennies and the two longest award was the fact that they wrapped up pretty much every single multiverse variation that we saw, which is an obvious candidate to trim a little bit. I think, you know, one tight montage kind of wraps all those things up. But the one that really stood out to me this time around watching this movie was how much work they put in in the beginning of the movie into kind of teaching you the rules of the multiversal travel, which doesn't end up being that important yeah i've talked to a few people about this movie and like convincing people to watch it and i've gotten the feedback multiple times oh so it's an episode of rick and morty right people are just this is so it's rick and morty but then they throw an oscar performance like on top of it <laughs> they stretch it out make it you know less enjoyable than <laughs> rick and morty or something similar even like you know we were talking about adventure time regular show like these weird things where they're subverting reality And if this is the Oscar audience, if this is something that they are trying to win an Academy Award for, they really need to do some handholding with these people watching these films that they understand what's going on. How does this world make sense? Do you have to do something? And it it really the first hour is like all groundwork and then they start Mm -hmm. fighting and the fights are incredible and the gimmicky like you got to do something crazy to then leapfrog you through all these different life cycles and then you can just grab their skills and i guess you then keep their skills indefinitely 
Yeah, I was trying to figure out, you know, does she still have these skills? Does she still have this martial arts prowess? And then she doesn't because she loses the connection. But then she connects again and she still has those connections to things. So it is weird for something they spend a lot of time explaining. I I think it makes enough sense. Uh, (laughs) At one point, they she's just her and this other guy are just slapping each other. And the daughter or like the husband is like. Oh, I guess they lost their connection to this. And it's it's just a lot of forced explanation for some amazing fight scenes, but that really don't take up that much of the movie. Yeah, I was going to bring up the exact same thing with the slap fight there in the middle is it was really unclear. Suddenly they didn't know Kung Fu anymore. And then they saw the butt plug and they realized with the butt plug, that's like a very strange thing. So I guess the connection in their mind was like, okay, well, it would be unusual for either of us to use this butt plug. So if we can use this butt plug, it would allow us to jump somewhere. But in that moment, we don't know where they're going to jump to. And then as soon as some of them use it or like use, I think, the different butt plugs that are around, they immediately get the Kung Fu back. But previously, the strange thing that they did is what connected them to that specific universe. So how could they have known where that was going to take them? And just because it took them to one universe, like you said, does that bring all the abilities they had? I, the thing that has me challenging it is like you said, we know enough. And I think we were given more exposition than we needed to know enough. When really, if you look at something like the matrix, we know Neo's plugged in. They can download knowledge and put it in his head. So he knows things when he's plugged in that he doesn't know when he's not plugged in. Great. There we go. Maybe it would have been too similar to the Matrix to say that. But if they basically said, like, while you're wearing these headpieces, we can jump you to multiverses where you have different skills. But we'll have to direct you there and you'll get there by doing something strange. We'll let you know what that thing is. And then boom, there we go. But there's so much setup. I always wonder what this kind of stuff fits left over from an earlier draft of the movie, because there's so much setup where it's like that big of a jump would fry most people's brains. And I was talking about that with Lauren. Lauren's argument for it, I think, holds water where it's that, you know, she's fine because she's the person that in another universe came up with multiverse of travel. But by that same argument, this one is not that one. So like this version of her is not the one that came up with the multiversal travel. So I don't know. I I think there's a better way to do it. It's very strange. I think the butt plug thing uh, was something that they got assigned almost right. Like somebody told them if you use the butt plug, it will get you to sumo world. So then all of them are going trying to go to sumo world and get sumo powers. I don't understand why they need to do this stuff in the moment. If they can just connect and get all of these things back, why do we need to keep doing weird stuff? The weird stuff is just more power. So then why not just do a bunch of weird stuff in advance, then plug in and just have all of this knowledge, right? Yeah. Like, like it, it, it's silly. And it's the intro is so complicated as well with the put your shoes on your opposite feet, go to the closet but somehow picture yourself in the closet. But I guess she wasn't actually in the closet in that world. She was teleporting to a different version of herself in a different, in a basically parallel closet in a different reality, which Mm -hmm. I think took me a while to figure out. It's just a lot of very complicated stuff where the payoff is. I don't know, is these cool fights, which again, I think you can get there faster. And then, 
the emotional wrapping. Like, why is she like the hot dog finger thing? I'm like, what do, what do we get out of this? Why are we here? It's so that she learns to love Jamie Lee Curtis hot dog fingers. What do I what what was that character arc? They they separated. Why did they separate? And then it seems like she was a dick in all of her lives. And then all of a sudden she started not being a dick. And I'm not sure why exactly. <laughs> it's just perspective, maybe. Um, I don't know. It's, yeah, it's it's interesting because all the different multiverses that got wrapped up, they seem to have that common thread where she's learning that just because this isn't her universe, there is a real person there that really does have feelings. That was kind of the theme in a movie we saw recently. Oh, Ant-Man. That was kind of a theme in Quantumania yeah. too, where it was like, just because this isn't where I live doesn't mean that these people don't have lives that hold value. Um, what's interesting too about that is you mentioned trying to find cuts. You mentioned maybe trying to cut her having resolution with Jamie Lee Curtis in the real world, like the, I guess, like the base reality that we know for Evelyn. And it is interesting to me. I don't know that I want to make a cut of either of these, but it is interesting to me that if you were going to, you could theoretically theoretically accomplish a lot of the same stuff that you would get cutting one of them in the other. So it seems like both of them kind of have the purpose of establishing Jamie Lee Curtis as a human being with feelings when otherwise she's just represented as this force of bureaucracy, like this oppressive force of bureaucracy and of, I guess the, the norm that this family doesn't easily fit into in America. And like, right. I mean, what better way to represent that than the tax system? And she's fucking ruthless. She has the butt plug stick up her ass trophies to prove it. So like that scene where they're sitting outside the laundromat is nice. It's kind of a it's it was an interesting scene because it's like. This woman was so intense that she called the cops and came down here to try to, like, take ownership of this laundromat on her off hour. I mean, she got assaulted at the office, so that's like a whole thing to deal with too. But she came down here for that. And then Wayman talks to her for a little bit and then she sits down outside and they're ready to vape together and like open up to each other about their lives. That was a little bit of a stretch to me. And I feel like if you were going to cut one of those, I might vote cutting that one and having more explored in the hot dog fingers one to establish like, this is still a human being like the version of her we're seeing is a version of her and make that more about like the work version of her versus the home life version of her. I don't know. What do you think? I think the hot dog scene humanizes her. Maybe the revelation is like all these alternate reality versions of people are to show her a different side of them. And then she brings it back to her reality. It Wayman talked to her for a very long time when Evelyn was doing that was like spacing out during the tax thing. So you think if it was just Wayman talking he would have been able to finagle them a better deal. But I guess then he brought up the divorce to Jamie Lee Curtis. And mm. that was something that they bonded over. But that again is like an action that Wayman's taking almost outside of the hot dog fingers. 
So Evelyn's going to this world, having this experience with Jamie Lee Curtis. They're in love. She's a real person. But that revolution doesn't even really happen until Waymond is vulnerable with Jamie Lee Curtis. And then Jamie Lee Curtis empathizes with her and Waymond humanizes her for Jamie Lee Curtis's character. So it is in that way. I think all of these things like make sense and these emotional journeys make sense. But in mm-hmm. that way, I think there's just a lot of redundancies yeah. that we we don't need. And you can go back to the I don't necessarily think we need to just like chop out one thing. I think you need a third party to just go through and just trim the fat and just tighten things up. And at the 90 minute mark, when she when she di- she dies and then she comes back to life. I don't know why she I don't really know why she came back to life. They were like going through all this stuff and then. How does she come back? And I just it feels like a kind of a mess uh, thinking about it after the fact. But I don't know. I mean, the cool parts are very cool. Mm -hmm. And then I'm on my phone for a bit of the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Second half, I was just kind of like, ugh, and just. It's not I was like, oh, there's a ton of fighting in this movie, and there really isn't. There's like, yeah. 15 minutes of fighting and you think the second half is going to be all fighting and it's really not. There's like that scene going up the stairs and mm-hmm. then there's just them going to a bunch of different worlds. So it's not fighting. It's not really action. It's just a bunch of di- it's just fast cuts that are taking you to location, 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 location. And it feels like they're kind of like distracting you with shiny stuff instead of giving you like the real satisfying stuff, which I want to see is more of these crazy fights with these crazy superpowers that they spent an hour setting up, you know? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I want to talk uh, some actors though, because I realized, you know, everything everywhere all at once got, you know, the big five, a 24 got the big, I think the big six, right at the Oscars, all the acting awards, best picture um, and screenplay. Uh, and the character and Stephanie uh, Sue, I believe is how you pronounce her oh, last Shoe. name. But yeah, Stephanie Shu, um, who played Joy and then Jamie Lee Curtis were both up for best supporting actress. Um, and I was watching it this time being like, does this make sense? I think it's dumb. That Jamie Lee Curtis, this people are saying this is like a lifetime achievement award for Jamie Lee Curtis. Mm. I'm not sure Jamie Lee Curtis needs a lifetime achievement award, right? Like, has she been trying to make Oscar caliber movies? This whole, She's not Leonardo DiCaprio. She's like <laughs> taking big swings every year. She's making Halloween three. She's she's just she did Freaky Friday. Like, I don't know. What are these what are these cutting edge like acting roles that Jamie Lee Curtis has been doing that like warrant a lifetime achievement award for an Oscar. I just I don't see it. I don't understand it. She's been in Hollywood for a long time, so I guess that's a thing. But mm. I don't know. I don't necessarily believe it's enough cachet to just cash in over Stephanie. I will say, though, if you are just going part for part, Jamie Lee Curtis has way less, I think, has less screen time. Stephanie does like all the carrying in the movie, like Mm -hmm. has to actually like 
move the plot forward. And Jamie Lee Curtis just comes in and like throws fastballs. She's like a closer. You know, she only pitches like two innings, but it's all speed. It's all hot. She is crushing like every minute she is on screen. She crushes. She is so frumpy and like disgusting at the beginning. And then she's doing these like fight scenes. And then even at the end when she's like bonding over the divorce, I'm like, Mm -hmm. Jamie Lee is so good in this. And Stephanie is good, too. But the part just just isn't as juicy. And I think it's, I think it's like a writing thing. Maybe it's, she just doesn't have joy's part. Isn't as purely fun as Jamie Lee Curtis's part was in this movie. So I kind of understand it. I understand it more. If you're just looking for somebody to come and blow you off the screen, I kind of get Jamie Lee over Stephanie shoe more than I did after the first time. Cause after the first watch, it's like, but Stephanie does all the work. But mm-hmm. maybe that's the point is she does all the work and Jamie Lee Curtis just comes in, has fun. I mean, if you had to pick a, a role to do, I think I'd rather do Jamie Lee Curtis's spot. It's funny. It's cool. Mm-hmm. It's fun. Uh, yeah, I don't know. They're just two different characters. That's a really good way to frame it. I think you're right. I think I would want to do Jamie Lee Curtis's. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've been on the Stephanie Shue train since this movie came out. I think she was terrific in this. She's such a good villain. Oh my God. She she's is so a good. Great villain. I think she only has to continue the baseball analogy. She only has two pitches in this movie. She is the villain or she is crying and sad. And she's good at both but they're not as compelling as Jamie Lee Curtis being like a frumpy asshole and then playing a crazy person. And then like everyone else seems to have more things to do in this movie than Stephanie does. They really mask it with all these clothing changes. She has Mm -hmm. a million different outfits, but her personality doesn't change across these outfits. She's just kind of the same. She's just a constant, right? So it's just not as, it's not as juicy a, a part, I guess. So I guess I'm, I was initially mad about this Jamie Lee Curtis win and I get it now. I think I get it right on. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? You've sold me on it too. Yeah. You brought me around. (laughs) It's time we recognize Jamie Lee Curtis. It's time. It's time we recognize her. I also think it's so funny that Jenny Slate is in this movie. Mm -hmm. She is barely in the movie. (laughs) She does like nothing in the movie. She's in five minutes and it's Jenny Slate. And I don't know if this like caught her at the right time or if she just wanted to help out. I think it was like another thing with Jamie Lee Curtis where they're like, this is not necessarily a cast of household names. We need a few people that people will recognize in this. And I think it's great that they got Jenny Slate to do this, you know, six minute part in this and that they got Jamie Lee Curtis to do this because these are more recognizable names than James Hong, you know? I love Michelle yeah. Yeoh. Oh. I don't think uh, Key was like pulling anybody in, though. I don't. Stephanie Shu wasn't. People aren't showing up for Stephanie Shu. I don't even know if people really show up for Michelle Yeoh. I don't. I don't know. Um, I think they will now. And yeah, it's it's a they shame. Should. Uh, people definitely they should. don't. People should be caring about these guys. But from like a pure name star power, I think they're a little. I think they were a little under the radar before this. I mean, Key hadn't worked in. 20 years. You seen yeah. all these interviews with him talking about how he hasn't worked since Temple of Doom. 
<laughs> it's it's crazy. It does. It feels a little weird to me the extent to which it's like the comeback story. Key's back. Hollywood's own boy has returned. As if Hollywood, as if they aren't the people that have been turning him away for twenty years. Like right. It's frustrating. It's very frustrating. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't really know what he, what is he going to do after this. I don't know, man. They'll find something. He should. I mean, he should be in things. I don't really know what his part. I mean, he could play a dad in like anything, I think. Oh, my God. Yeah. I, I mean, I think he could do he could for sure slot into kind of like a Brian Cranston situation now where it's like, I think he could do well. He can play the dad that's goofy. He can be the Malcolm in the Middle dad. Uh, I think he could play a character that's kind of fucked up like Walter White, too. You I do? think they could I think they could get a satisfying shock value out. I think he's good enough at playing range, which he showed in this movie, like when he's the cool dude version of himself from the universe where Michelle Yeoh is a movie star. Um, I think he is good enough that he can play like kind of a fucked up guy. And then the show can take care of the rest. Like Walter White, Brian yeah. Cranston only has to look like, you know, pretty grumpy and then the show and the writing takes care of the rest of it like most of the shit that's crazy that's happening is just like i don't know brian Kranz. i didn't even really watch the show but i've seen the like monologues of like i'm the one who knocks and it's like i don't see him having i mean he just has this like energy about him where he's so like happy and positive and sincere i i think he could just cash in on that for a while i mean People should want that in their movies. Totally good. He should yeah, be able to cash in on that. Could. And then maybe six years from now, or like 10 years from now, you know, after he's made a few movies as like the friendly dad, he does his Breaking Bad where he's like murdering people in an alley or whatever. I mean, I guess he did the action stuff. I, I keep thinking they fought a lot. He didn't really actually fight that much. <laughs> but no, but he in did theory, a lot of cool. He could be in an action movie. Yeah, he did a lot of cool acrobatics and stuff. I'm just saying yeah. he could do any of it right now he would be a lock for a breaking bad movie or you know ted lasso season four you can go either way <laughs> yes 100 uh if we don't see him more it's it's a travesty it's really terrible michelle yo is is amazing she's a shining star she carries it she's so good yeah and i just she's great i mean it deserves all the oscars i think it really does Dude, um, we got to get we got to do police stories so that we can watch. I think it's police story two is the one where they decided they wanted to pass the franchise off. So it's like she gets partnered up with Jackie Chan in one of them. And then from that movie forward, she's just the star of the police story franchise. And I want to see that. <laughs> I do. I want to see her in more stuff. I think she's I mean, she was a Bond girl. Uh she did a bunch of uh she's like Crouching Tiger, right? Like she's yeah. she's just she's a long she has a meaty career that I uh, feel like I'm slightly too ignorant of. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like every time we do the Oscars pod, which has been this is the second time we've done our, our like post Oscars pod. I love looking at the box scores uh, or the box office for the year they did this. And I think as far as best picture nominees, they expanded it to 10, you know, a few years ago. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden this makes way more sense with the box office, right? Number one picture, number one grossing movie of 2022, Top Gun Maverick. It's there. It's nominated. Avatar Way of the Waters, number four. It's there. It's nominated. Elvis, 12, $151 million. 
It's there. It's nominated. I think that's great. I think it's great that they're acknowledging these people. I mean, I, I, it totally made, well, I don't know if necessarily Black Panther, Wakanda Forever deserves the nod or Doctor Strange, but if we're getting a Maverick or Avatar every year, like the, the highest gross, if we're getting like a billion dollar movie every year, I think it's okay to just throw it a bone and get it in the Oscar <laughs> conversation. And as good as all these other movies were, Top Gun Maverick was the best movie I saw last year. I know Tom Cruise wasn't there and doesn't care and he's a weirdo and crazy, but Top Gun Maverick was amazing. And yeah. it's really cool to me that they nominated it, uh, that it was in the conversation. It was exciting. It shows that they're like not as out of touch as they could be. And then, of course, you get down to I mean, this movie was, I think, like in the 80s on this list. Banshees of Irishir in 83. <laughs> it really drops off with the rest of these movies. I don't know why uh, the Oscars are so obsessed with movies nobody's seen, but <laughs> hopefully this gets more eyes than everything everywhere all at once. Yeah. Yeah. And I these think actors, honestly. Uh, and the Daniels. You know, yeah. Good Lord. <laughs> just just happy happy feelings all around for everybody associated with this movie getting a lot more attention because holy shit also i think this is going to make a lot more people watch swiss army man which is a beautifully fucking weird movie like <laughs> oh i can't wait it's for gonna people make to me go watch, watch the swiss army man. i gotta watch it dude it's fun it's weird as shit like i that's the other thing is i wonder now coming out of this i wonder if daniels try to do more oscars-y movies or if they go even weirder and like maybe now they get to do like a, a giant fuck up of a movie where they get way too ambitious with it and like make a complete and total train wreck. And like, I don't know, I, I hope that this emboldens them to keep exploring the weirder shit that they want to do instead of kind of reining them in, because I think uh, they are kind of. They're like mainstream fringe. You know what I mean? They're not like real experimental cinema, which I find completely uninteresting. It sucks and I hate it. But like they're kind of as far in that direction as you can go to make it still mainstream acceptable. Like I was a little bit surprised that everything ever all at once got nominated. Because it's so weird. And like, yeah, I think this is that's kind of who you need pushing the boundaries. I agree. I think I think they, this is the kind of movie and these are the kind of movies that open things up more for like this is the way that we improve things like the Oscars and the Academy is by making these movies that have some crossover appeal. <laughs> like yeah. shit actually happens. It is interesting. It's still got, you know, too long and too whatever for the so that the Oscars like it. But um, yeah. I don't know. Uh, give me. A, I'm trying to pull up. Here we are. Ready to wrap this up, Kevin? Any any final yeah, thoughts? Let's wrap it up. Okay. Do you think everything, everywhere, all at once is better than Bahubali Two? Oh my God! We're ranking this one against our 2023 movies. Is that fair? I don't know. Let's see. Let's oh, see boy. what's going to happen. Do I think it's better than Bahubali Two? Um, I do. Yeah. Mm, is it better than Last of Us? Oh, you can't make me do this. It's a no for both of me, uh, for both of those for me, but uh, I'll slot it in at number two. Everything, everywhere, all at once. I don't think it was better than Last of Us. 
It's definitely not better than The Last of Us. I don't think it's better than Bob Bali 2, honestly. Bob Bali 2 uh, is so good, dude. <laughs> it's I keep it's really every good. Time, every week when you ask me about it, I think about like the same three scenes and I'm like, movie fucking rules, dude. <laughs> Pretty great movie. Probably gonna rewatch it soon. <laughs> Bob Bali had jaw on the floor, which I didn't get and everything all everywhere all at once, you know? Yeah. Flies. I swallowed so many flies watching Bahu Bali 2. I was in it. Uh, oh my god so there we are that's the pod hey well thank you very much for listening everybody <laughs> uh you know let us know right in do you think it was better than bahubali too do you think it was better than last of us send us an email nerdy for 30 at gmail.com we will read it in the review preview episode that's coming up next week we have one more episode that we're going to be covering for the month of march and that is the woman king next thursday so come on back for that i'm very excited to see it i haven't watched it yet i'm stoked um <laughs> i did watch the first john wick in preparation for john wick 4 i'm gonna make my way through and tim i don't think you're gonna like my opinions on this movie i you can be wrong it's fine all right well hey <laughs> till next week stay nerdy everybody bye stay nerdy bye john wick is amazing yeah